Well, I was caught up in the moment. What a day. Anybody looking forward to it? It's going to make some things all worthwhile. Acts chapter 27, if you want to turn there in your Bible, pick up where we left off last week, verse number 24. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, thank you so much for being so good, God. Thank you for your love, your grace, your mercy. Thank you, Father, that even on the worst day of our life, you're in control of it, God. You hold all things in your hand. You've never left us. You've never forgotten us. You've never forsaken us, God. You never just left us out in the cold. You're always there, Father. And even when times are hard, God, you're doing something in us and something through us and something around us. And God, it's all going to result in that day when we look upon your face, Father. I just want to tell you, thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for Calvary. Thank you for the blood. Thank you, Father, for the gift, Lord. We stand to you in need this evening, God. I pray, Father, you touch those that are sick, touch these in the prayer request, those that are certainly in need. God, I pray you'd meet with us here in this place, Father. Help us to learn something about you, Father, that we might walk out, Lord. I pray you'd give us a sincere heart for the lost, God. As Tim talked about, Lord, we're looking for the day when you come. But many are going to be left on that day, Father. I pray you'd make us usable vessels to reduce that number by as many as we can. We love you, God. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So as chapter 24, we, or 27, we left off verse number 24, where um, saying, Fear not, Paul, thou must be brought before Caesar. It's the angel talking to him, and lo, God hath given thee all them that sell with thee. Paul is, has been somewhere on this ship praying. He has been bombarding heaven. He hadn't been praying for himself. He knows he's going to Rome. What he's been praying for is the people around him. One of the things, there's a lot of things in Paul's life that we need to see, but one of them is the heart for others. The reason he went through what he went through, the reason he, the reason he went where he went, the, the reason he, he took the, the punishment and the beatings, the reason he, he is tucked away on this ship is he's always praying for others. He's always telling others about Jesus. He's always trying to, to reach out and, and to better someone else's life. And so right here, he's been somewhere pounding on the doors of heaven, beating at the throne room on behalf of others. So matter of fact, Sunday morning, that's probably going to be a good focal point for the message. I hope you can all be here. Paul says that God sent an angel, and he told me, Thou must be brought forth Caesar, and God hath given them all thee that sell with thee. So Paul, Paul says, It's not just me. All of you are going to be okay. All of you are going to live. That's probably got to be pretty good news when they've been thinking for 14 days now that they're about to die. They've been thinking ever since they got on it and got out in that, in that um, typhoon that, that they're going to die. But, but Paul makes his claim, and this is where we actually left off. He, claim, he claims as to, to why he knows this to be true in verse 25. Be of good cheer, for I believe God. That's where we left off. That's what everything boils down to. You either believe God or you don't. About three Sundays, we was talking about the Word of God on Sunday morning. And, and, and I said, as simple as I know how to say it, you either believe this book or you don't. If you question a line in this book, then you question this book. If you question a statement in this book, then you question God. If you question a, a, a verse in this book, then you question the authority of God. You question the knowledge of God. You, you, you question the power of God. If you question anything in this book, then you do not believe God. It's very simple. In the beginning to amen, God says, I wrote it. I appointed men of the Holy Spirit. And I penned the things that I want you to hear. The things that I want you to see. The things that I want you to know. These are the things that you need to know. These are the things that will get you through. Don't worry about the gray areas. Don't worry about the things. If you need to understand it, pray to me. I'll help you understand it. But he, he said, anytime you need anything, 
call unto me and I'll answer you. I'll show you great and mighty things that you don't even know what they are. I'll show you some powerful things. So it all boils down to either believe God or we don't. See, that sin's opening statement was about believing God. Whether you believe God or believe the devil, that, that is the hinges that heaven and hell swings on. There's only two people to believe. You either believe in God or you believe in the devil. It's either the things of God or it's the lies of the world, which the devil the father of the world. So it's one of those two things. God said in the beginning, if you eat of that fruit, thou shalt surely die. What he said, plain and simple. If you eat of it, thou shalt die. The devil said, oh, thou shalt not surely die. See, see, he almost said the same thing. But he added that, that little three-letter word right there in it. And listen, it, it boils down to just like it was with Eve. Who are you going to believe? The devil is the same liar. The devil is the same deceiver. The devil is the same tempter. He knows the things that tempt you just like he knew the things that would tempt Eve. He knows the things you take second looks at. He knows the things that will get to you. And those are the things he'll offer you. And he had that one little three-letter word in there that will create a decision. Am I going to believe God? Am I going to follow God? Am I going to stay with God? Or am I going to waver? So, so Paul says it all boils down to that, that I believe God. Paul, Paul says to the captain, listen, if you want to listen to the sailors, listen to the sailors. If you want to listen to, to the captain again, he's talking to the centurion and he's telling all of them that you're going to live. If you want to listen to the captain again, you've already done that once. If you want to listen to what you call the voice of reason, listen to what you want. Remember the last time what you listened to? You listened to the soft wind. And as soon as you got pushed off land, those soft winds turned into this typhoon that we're in. You want to listen to the soft winds? Listen to what you want to. Same thing's true today. You want to listen to worldly science? Listen to what you want to. You want to listen to worldly historians try to explain stuff away? Listen to what you want to. You want to listen to the experts of the world and you want to try to put their judgment over the authority of God? Listen to what you want to. But if you're in here, I hope, I think we all stand the same. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we believe God. The devil can have his lives. The world can have his lives. The politicians, the government can have his lives. Everything comes down. But, but our choice is made. Amen. We're, we're going to stand with God. He serves, be a good cheer. For I believe God that it shall be even as it was told me. How be it? He said, there, there is a loss here. We must be cast upon a certain island. That centurion, he believed the captain over Paul back when they were at the haven. He, he believed the captain's experience. He believed the captain's knowledge. He believed the captain's ability as owner of the ship, having done it his whole life. But this time, God has his undivided attention because the last time, it hadn't worked out so well for him. Science and historians who want to know the truth. You know, there are Christian scientists. There are Christian scientists, and they put out some really good stuff. So there, there are Christian historians. There, there are people who study, and, and they, they study for the truth. They explore because they, they want to know the truth. And these people have gone out, and they've studied, and they, they verified the accuracy of Luke's report here in Acts. They said that a ship of that size in that day, putting all the numbers together and everything's there, they said that they would have drifted about 36 miles a day. We know that they drifted for 14 days, and in 14 days, that means they traveled about 500 miles, of which they have no idea where they're going, but that's about the distance from Claudia where they first got lost out 
to the island of Malta, where the ship is now. This about to wreck. So, so verse number 27 says, When the fourteenth night was come, as we were driven up and down in Adria about midnight, the shipmen deemed that they drew near to some country. So Adria there, that's the Adriatic Sea. It's now called the Adriatic Gulf. And, and, and Luke says we're tossed up and down by the waves. Things ain't calmed down. This has been 14 days and it's still going on. Remember, they still hadn't seen sun. They still hadn't seen stars or moon. They, they can't see. It's dark. And he says, we're still being tossed up and, up and down here in the ship. It's at midnight. It's smut black. It's pitch dark. And, and, and they hear the waves. It said that the, these men, they, they perceived that, that there was some land to draw near. They drew near to, to some country. Maybe they can hear the roaring of the waves. You know, when you start getting anywhere around the ocean, you start hearing that thing. Because when all that powerful water starts rushing ashore and the waves roll and you hear it like thunder and it carries for a long ways off, these men are sailors by trade. They know what land sounds like. They know what shallow water sounds like. And, and so they're, they're hearing this, and, and they, they don't know. They just know something shallow. It could be a barrier reef, which would destroy the ship. It could be rocks. It, it could be an island. It could just be a sandbar. All they know is they're getting around some kind of land. They, it may even be to the point, maybe in the dark, I don't know, but you know how the ocean, you, a lot of times a really good example is from the airplane. You ever been in an airplane, you're looking at the ocean, and, and the, all of a sudden it looks... I don't know, it's like a pale pink, sometimes a pale blue color. It's shallow water. It's out in the middle of the ocean, but it's shallow water. And even from the airplane, you can you just imagine how rough the waves must be because you can see the foam and you can see the white of the waves breaking. You know what I'm talking about? How many, how many feet high is that? Anybody, I can't even, I don't know how high an airplane flies, but it's up in the air. I get that part. It's a lot further away than they are from this island. So, so I wouldn't doubt that they may not can see some of the foam. They may not can see some, some of the white is breaking. So for two weeks, they have been terrified that they're going to drown in the ocean. Now they're terrified that the ship's about to get destroyed and they're going to get torn apart with it. So they have a, a whole new horror. So the, the ship is out of control. It's been out of control ever since they set sail and the wind took it over. They pulled the sail down. They threw the tackle off. They threw a bunch of the stuff overboard. They've been out of control. They're still out of control. They are at the mercy of the wind. They have no control. Man, this is going to help somebody somewhere. Y'all pray for us. We lost a projector to lightning again. I don't know how many times that is. It's no longer under warranty. It's a few hundred dollars just to ship it. And, and tonight we're not on live stream, but we are getting the videos. We'll put it out later. You know, the devil's trying to do everything he can, right? Huh? We did get back on live stream? Sit down hold on. It's going to help somebody. The ship is out of control. They, they are, their, their life, everything at that moment controlling their life, it is completely out of control. They have no control over their current situation. That's kind of like a picture of a life without Christ, isn't it? They, they have no con control, and, and they sounded and found it 20 fathoms. When they had gone a little further, they sounded again and found it 15 fathoms. Now, sounded was a form of measuring water depths in the day. They took a rope, and, and they tied it together um, at, at distances. It says that it was 20 
fathoms here. A fathom is about six foot. That probably depends on the height of who does it because in that day, it was a measure from the tip of the longest finger to the tip of the longest finger. That was a fathom. They would tie knots in the rope and they would let it down. And it says that the first time they let the rope down, there are about 20 fathoms water somewhere around 120 foot deep. They pull it up. They let it down again. 15 fathoms water is about 90 feet. So they're approaching land fast. The water's getting shallower. So they decide to do the only thing they can do, and that's throw out some anchors. Verse number 29, less fear and we should have fallen upon rocks. They cast four anchors out of the stern and wish for the day. Now, anybody that knows much about boats, especially today's boats in today's term, know that that's a little bit backwards. You don't cast anchors out of the back of the boat. You cast anchors out of the front of the boat. But you see some of the knowledge of these sailors here. And, and you see some of their experience as shipmen. And for one, today the, the reason you, you anchor from the front is so on the front you have the point, you have the V. It cuts the weight. That's what it's for is to cut. And when you got all the waves coming in, it hits and that ship will cut into the wave and, and it'll go up over. But on the back of the ship, today they're flat to put the engines back there. So if you were to anchor from the back end, the water hits. It's going to drive the anchors loose. They're probably not going to hold or the water's going to come over the back and swamp the ship. It's not going to float. But in that day, the ships were pointed on both ends, right? So it gave them some liberty. But here's the deal is we'll see what they're hoping is when it gets daylight, they're hoping they can see some land that they can put that ship on. And what they want to do is drive that ship nose first up onto the ground and, and get up on there. So they put the anchors out at the back of the ship holding against the wind. So that tomorrow morning, if they find a place where they can land, they can pull those anchors up and, and set it up. We just, we, we see, we just, we see the knowledge there that they have. Now, th those who have studied the site, they tell us that at that depth, that means the ship was about a quarter of a mile from land. They were about 1,300 feet from land, certainly a lot lower than the airplanes fly. They could see the foam, right? So I want to say maybe, maybe they could see some foam, but, but the, the sailors knew that, that their chances are small. They, there's some things they had to do. Number one, they, they knew to, to put the anchors out, and as long as those anchors would hold, it would give them time to get some daylight. They needed some light. They needed to see what was in front of them. They needed to see where to land. I mean, even if you knew where you were, even if you knew where to land, you're not just going to drive the boat up on shore without being able to see where you're going. So, so they, they figure by putting them out, it'll, it'll give them a, a little bit of time. But, but now all they can do is, is sit and listen to the waves. Now all they can do is sit there with the boat tossed up and down and, and maybe see the, the foam crashing in. So, so all they can do is, is just sit there and, and wait. Now at least the anchors are holding, apparently. The ship has stopped. It's no longer going towards the land. But, but they're, they're still being tossed up and down. We know they're at Malta because we read the story, but they don't know where they are. They, they've been lost at sea for 14 days. They ain't got a clue. They assume they're still on the top side of the planet. That's about all they know. They're completely lost, and, and all they could do is pray and hope that when, when daybreak came, that it would reveal some kind of beach, some kind of land where they could drive this ship up on land and, and get safely. All they want is out of the boat right now. I don't think they're too worried about where they are. Just get me out of this boat. Been out here in this storm for 14 days. Anybody know what I'm in a storm 14 days? No, if I'm, I'm ready to get out of the boat. So, so verse number 30, we see the experience of the crew again. We see their selfishness. There's only one lifeboat on this thing. And it says that when the shipmen were about to flee out of the ship, when they had 
let down the boat into the sea under color as though they would have cast anchors from the foreship. Here's the deal. That means they were pretending like they're letting anchors down on the front, which would have done absolutely no good. The ship's anchored at the back. The way it's getting the front really needs to be able to float around a little bit and let the back cut. So even if they're putting anchors out of the front, that's not helping the call. But under color, you know, they're, they're pretending. They're acting like they're putting out some anchors. But what they're really doing is they're letting down the only lifeboat on there. And it's only big enough for them. And can't nobody else get on it. But Paul's been on too many ships. Paul, Paul's, been around, Paul's been on a lot of boats. Paul's been around a lot of line shipmen. But, but most of all, Paul was being led by the Holy Spirit. Paul has the anointing of, of the Holy Spirit. And, and I believe the Holy Spirit reveals to me, that reveals to him, that, that they're, they're letting this thing down. And here's the deal. They're not, they're not just leaving Paul on board. They're not just leaving prisoners on board and the other citizens that are on board. They're leaving the centurion on board and the Roman guards. So, so they're leaving all these guys. So, so Paul goes to the, to the centurion and to the soldiers. He said, except these abide in the ship, you cannot be saved. He says, you let them get in that boat and leave, you're going to die. Except they stay on this ship, you're not going to live. I, that, that's what he tells them. Now, you remember when they, were, when they were back at the haven, Paul tried to tell this centurion to no avail... God says we don't need to sail. God says we need to stay put. But the centurion didn't want to hear it. Paul tried to tell the centurion to, to no avail. If we sail, we're going to lose cargo. Maybe lose the ship. Maybe lose some lives. We, we need to stay put. Now that was then. But, but here on the, on the outskirts of Malta, Paul has told the centurion that God sent an angel to deliver a message. We're going to lose the cargo and even the ship. But no one's going to die. It sounds like this crew may not be quite as sold on Paul's God as the centurion might be becoming. Because they're like, you believe what you want. We're going to take advantage try to get off this boat. But Paul says they're trying to sneak the boat into the water. They're, they're trying to get into to save their own lives. In verse number 32, immediately it says that the soldiers cut off the ropes of the boat and let her fall off. Once they saw what was going on, they took their swords and they cut the ropes that was holding on to the lifeboat, dropped the lifeboat off. I got a feeling there's some untold stuff happening right here. There might have been some stuff said that Luke says isn't appropriate to be written in the Word of God. I got a feeling the soldiers had some things to say to them. Y'all know what I'm talking about? I don't think they just cut the ropes off and said, now let, let that be it. And they already got their sword in their hand. They probably touched it on some noses. Let, let them know what they was up to. I, I don't know. It doesn't say. So I'm just, I'm just kind of thinking out loud. But there's something, there's something in the story. And we see it more than once in the story. We'll see it a couple more times just in the next little bit. But, but I, I want to kind of make sure that, that we look at it. Paul had been given a message from the angel. And Paul saw what the sailors were doing. Now, Paul, seeing them let down that boat, I believe was, was notified of that by the Holy Spirit. I do. I believe that was what was made it aware. But Paul, Paul could have said, hmm, wonder how that's going to work out. God said we was all going to be saved, but we ain't supposed to get off that boat. And, and Paul could have just said, hmm, God, what are you going to do about that? 
Wonder what kind of miracle God's going to do now. You know, sometimes God gives us enough information, it's up to us to do the rest. You know what I'm talking about? It was up to Paul to go to the centurions. It was up to Paul to bring this up. It was up to Paul to go into action. Listen, God will not do for us the things that we can do for ourselves. God gives us things to do. He gives us knowledge. He gives us ability. It's our job to do all the natural stuff we can do, leave the supernatural to God. But the part that we can do, those are the things that we're supposed to do. So God showed Paul for a reason because a ship without a crew, when it gets daylight, it really ain't going to do much good. They need the crewmen on board. They need them there. No matter what the shore looks like, they're going to need them for this last little short bit of sailing. So, so Paul tells the centurion and the soldiers, they would have been the only ones that could have done anything about it. No one else on the ship could have done anything to change that, but certainly they could. And it seems as though the centurion has probably learned his lesson about listening to Paul. So here they are, middle of the wee hours of the morning. The ship, the ship is still anchored. They, they can only hear, but nobody knows what fate lies ahead of them. No, nobody really knows what that shore looks like because they don't even know what shore it is. They, there's no longer a lifeboat of any kind, so nobody's getting in a lifeboat now. If there was any thought of that, that that's been removed. And, and Paul says, men, you've been without food for 14 days now. I have told y'all number 14 means deliverance in the Word of God, right? Number 14 is always deliverance. And Paul says, you guys, you, you've been without food for 14 days now. He says, you, you're, you're going to need some strength. You, you're you're going to need to take some of this little bit of food, wheat, bread, what they got. And, and, and you, you're going you're to need to eat some stuff. It says in verse 33, we're still in Acts 27, that while the day was coming on, Paul besought them all to take meat, saying, this day is the 14th day that you have tarried and continued fasting, having taken nothing. That's not godly fasting. They just ain't eating. Number one, we've talked about it. They're probably probably puking all over the place. I imagine they're pretty sick. They've been tossed around a lot in this, in this typhoon they've been in. But Paul says, for 14 days, you, you haven't been eating. You've taken nothing. Wherefore, I pray you, take some meat, for this is your health. For there shall not an hair fall from the head of any of you. The Greek word there translated to meat is trophe. It's also translated as nourishment or rations or food. So Paul says, don't worry. Be of good cheer. Forget about your fear. Forget about your, your anxiety. There shall not a hair fall from your head. He says, all of you are going to be safe. And then what, what we see in the next verse, obviously it's bread that they're going to eat. But, but there's something that these men need to learn. And it's the same kind of stuff that people need to learn when they're around us. Paul lifts this bread as naturally as he breathes. This isn't a show when he lifts this bread to pray. This isn't a formality of God is great, God is good, let us thank him for our food. This isn't a show to make the other man to, to, make, to make himself appear righteous or holy to, to them. He isn't trying to force anything religion. Paul just knows that every good gift is from God. Everything is from God. This bread is a blessing from God. Our lives are a blessing from God. What we have are a blessing from God. He did the same thing that Jesus Christ always did. He stopped before anybody touched the bread to pray and thank the Father for, for the gift. And when he had thus spoken, he took the bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of them all. And when he had broken it, he began to eat. Then were they all of good cheer and they also took some meat. That must have been some good bread is all I'm telling you. 
You've been sick for 14 days at sea for 14 days. You ain't eight in 14 days. You still don't know what tomorrow holds. You still don't know what's And all of a sudden, you're of good cheer. Can, can I just tell you something? That wasn't the bread of the ship. That wasn't the bread of the land. That was the bread of life. There, there ain't a doubt in my mind when Paul prayed that the Holy Spirit came down on this ship. Because what it says is, is that they were all of good cheer. They saw the heart of Paul praying. What they saw is they saw how real Paul's God is to Paul. That's what I'm talking about people need to see in our life. That's what they need to see in us the same way they saw in Paul. They need to see how real our God is in our situation. Not on our mountaintops. Not on our good days. Every day. When times are good, when times are bad. We looked at it last Sunday. From mountaintops, from the valleys. The Psalms are written from both. And all of the Psalms are of praise no matter where they're written. People need to see how real our God is. Paul prayed that they saw it. And, and I believe it's the Holy Spirit fell because I see their countenance changed. All of a sudden, they're, they're, they're all happy. They're, they're cheerful. It says that they're not afraid anymore. They're not anxious at that moment. I've ate some pretty good meals. Blank, I've ate none that good. I've never known anything but a brush by the Holy Spirit to, to be that good. See, they're still on the ship. Are y'all with me here? They're, they're, they're still in the same boat. The waves are still crashing. The sea is still taking them up and down. The boat's still being tossed around. It's still dark. The wind's still blowing. The light still isn't up. They still don't know what's ahead of them. There's still uncertainty all around them. Their situation has not changed. At all. Not one cent's worth. The only thing that changed is Paul prayed over this bread. And now all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit, I believe, intervened because they, they're in the same situation. But now they're cheerful. Isn't it amazing what a difference the presence of God makes? See, that, that, that's what people, that's what people need to see in our lives. That is the hope. That we have that the world doesn't have. Paul says that, you know, they use it at funerals all the time, that we sorrow not as others which have no hope. The world has no hope. That's not us. That's not where we are. One day he's going to take us by the hand and lead us through the promised land. And we're going to look upon the face that saved us by his grace. We've got some hope. What happened to my microphone? Turn me down up here. All of a sudden, I went to Echo, and all, I'm getting excited. I just all of a sudden could hear. Y'all know I can't hear. Holy Spirit, may I give me my hearing back. I don't know. Something happened. So, so verse number 37, it, it says that we're all in the ship, 203 score and 16 souls, 276 people. And when they had eaten, so everybody ate. You understand, 276 people, tired, scared, sick people, all of a sudden are happy. Piece of bread didn't do that. Our God did that. The one in our ship did that. The one that holds our storm did that. The one that walked through our trouble did that. 276 people, only three of them that we know of are men of God. Y'all get that? Only three. Paul and his two friends. We don't know anything about the others. But we got a pretty good idea those Romans aren't Christians. We didn't gather that. 
Those sailors and, and, and the captain, they're not Christians. We don't know anything about any of the passengers on the ship. But out of 276, we only know of three Christians on the ship. But when those three, one in particular, prayed, now all of a sudden there's joy for 276 people. When they had eaten enough, they lighted the ship and they cast the wheat into the sea. So once again, you see the experience of the crew. If they're going to try to run this ship aground, then they want to get as close to the dry land as they can get before the ship gets on ground. How do you do it? You get the ship as light as you can get it. You get everything that don't have to be on here all. Get this thing as shallow in the water. So when we do see land and we do set sail, we want to get as close to dry land as we can before this thing runs aground. So I said a minute ago that, that we see him more than one occasion just to point another one out. God said God's going to save them, right? God's already said that. He's already sent the angel. He's already told Paul that you're not going to lose your lives. But they still got to unload the cargo. They still got to take care of the ship. As you see in a minute, they still got to set the sails. They still got to pull up the anchors. They've still got to do their part. We've still got to do our part. We take care of the natural. God takes care of the supernatural. You know, I've said it a lot of times. We are to pray as though we expect God to do it all for us. While working as though we expect to do it all ourselves. We're supposed to be all in, trusting God to take care of all the part that we can't. So, 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 so here they're, they're doing their part. They, they unload the ship. Those who have studied this story, they also tell us that the shores would have been just as rocky in that day as they are today. There, there's rocks everywhere, I mean, just jagged rocks coming up out of the water. This, this is a nasty place. This ain't where you bring a ship into shore. This is the place ships stay away from. This is where they come to. And then you got those two words, but God. Got to love verse 39. Listen, there is never a place in our life. There's never a time in our life. There's never a storm in our life. There's never a situation in our life where but God does not work. No matter what's going on, no matter what, no matter how bad you try to paint it, no matter how bad, and you, and tell, all you get to say, but God. But God changes everything. It's getting daylight. They, they have no idea where they are. They, they see the land. They don't know what land it is. They, they, see, they begin to see the rocks and the foam scratching. They see the, the devastation. And, and to a sailor, that, that looks like doom. I'm, I mean, that, that's a certain place of, of doom trying to get there. They've been driven by the wind 14 days without any control. And now they've come up on this land. They don't even know where it is. They're, they're just somewhere. And all they see is these rocks and, and, and the crashing. But in verse 39... But God, when it was day, they knew not the land, but they discovered a certain creek with a shore into which they were minded, if it were possible, to thrust in the ship. Uh, of anywhere in, in the Adrian, anywhere in the Adriatic, anywhere that this ship could have been driven by the winds, God brought them to and showed them this creek. In the midst of all the turmoil and all the rocks, out of all of 500 miles of windblown, lost control travel, they think they're lost at sea, but they're exactly where God wants them to be. They are completely lost in their storm, but they are completely in, in the hands of God. So, so he brings them to this creek. I, I, anybody ever, when you're studying something, God gives you something, gets all over you, you need to get out and do a couple laps around the house, and you try telling somebody else about it, and you know they just don't get it. It's happened to us. I hate it when it happens to me. People are so, I can tell they're so enthusiastic and they're sharing something and I'm trying to get it, but I just can't get it. You know what I'm talking about? 
You know the Holy Spirit gave them something. They gave them something that was good, but you're glad when it's you? I, I, I want to give you. I want to give you. If y'all don't get it, I'm sorry. I, I got it. I'm going to hang on to it. There, there, there's, something, there's something in this word. If they looked it up and, and it says that there, there was a creek. In, anybody want to know what the Greek word there is for creek? K-O-L-P-O-S, kolpos. The other translation of that same word is bosom. Mm-mm, going somewhere. The creek is their only chance of survival. But the word they're used for creek also means bosom. So I looked up that Hebrew word and I found it used four more times in the New Testament. In all four times that I found it, each time it is translated bosom. Anybody want to know what any of them is? I'm going to tell you anyway. Somebody should have said I do, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Luke chapter 16, verse 19, Jesus is telling the story about Lazarus and the rich man. There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen, fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus which laid at his gate full of sores, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. Came to pass that the beggar died and was carried away by the angels into Abraham's bosom. Same word as this creek. Same exact word as the creek. Defined right here in Acts chapter 27. Carried into Abraham's bosom, the rich man died also and was buried in, in hell, lift up his eyes, being in torments and seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Same word as this creek. John chapter 1 verse 17. The law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Verse 18. No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten son which is in the bosom of the father hath declared him. Same word as that creek right there. Same, same word as this creek. See, one, one more in John chapter 13, verse 23. At the Lord's Supper, it says that there was one leaning on Jesus' bosom, one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. It's the same word. See, what, what this creek is, is this creek is the soft spot in the rocks. It is the cleft. You know, we sing the song, hide me in the cleft of the rocks. This, this is the cleft of the rocks. It is the peace in the midst of the storm. It is the safety. It is the shelter in the midst of the rocks, in this place of destruction. This isn't just a creek. This is the bosom of God. This is the safety of God. You understand, 14 days of storm. When they set sail, they've been through 14 days of wind-blown storms. 14 days of fear, 14 days of uncertainty, 14 days of sickness, 14 days tossed in the wave. No, no sun, no moon, no stars, no hope. Nearly 500 miles of wind blown with no control over their situation, but they are completely in the hands of God. For 14 days, it looked like they were lost at sea. For 14 days, it looked like they were going to die. But for 14 days, they were being delivered from where they shouldn't have been into the bosom of God Almighty. Y'all don't have to get it already did. See, it doesn't matter what you're going through. God, all he's doing is pulling us into his bosom. When we get to the rocks and we think we're just about to crash and it's all about to end, there's that cleft in the rocks. 
There's that little space between the two islands. There's that little creek that is the bosom of God. And he said, I brought you through all this storm, all this trial, all this uncertainty, everything that you're going through. I brought you right here to give you not just hope, my hope. I brought you right here to show you something that you cannot see anywhere else. Nobody on that ship could have ever seen what they saw had they not been through 14 days of hell on earth to get there. God knows what he's doing. God knows what he's doing. And when they wouldn't listen to God's man the first time, God said, let me teach all of you a lesson. There might have been three Christians got on that ship. I believe 276 got off of it. I imagine the preaching of repentance came pretty easy right about now. I imagine the Holy Spirit of God is pretty real to some folks right about now. So, so you, you, you got, you got, Three men understand the importance of our life. Three men out of 276 people on board this boat is all we know of that knew anything about God. But you see what God did for all 276. In the beginning, God said, Paul said, that God said we're going to lose the ship, we're going to lose stuff, and we're going to lose life, right? That's what we saw back here, right? Before they left the haven, just trying to make that little short trip. That's what they said. But because of Paul's prayer, now it's changed. You're going to lose the ship. You're going to lose the stuff. But no man will lose his life. I spent 14 days delivering you into my bosom. Verse number 40. I'm out of time. When they had taken up the anchors... They committed themselves under the sea and they loosed the rudder bands and hoist up the mainsail to the wind. That's the first time them sails have been up in a minute. They let them things down to keep them getting turned over because they, they, they know where they're at. They know where to go. They know how to sail anyway. So, so the, the, they bend down. So they, they pull up the anchors. They, they loose the rudder bands. They hoist up the mainsail to the wind and made toward shore. Well, Lord willing, that'd be a really good place to pick up next week. But I think of a lot of storms that people are going through. Some of them just seem like they don't end. I, I, I know all of Mr. Reese and her family. I, I know several, several of you. We've got, we, we've got about four families that just seem like it just doesn't have a bridle on it. For really months now for some and several weeks for others. It just reminds me, I'm not out of God's control. I may be lost at sea, but I'm not lost. I may not know where I am, but my God does. I may not know where I am in my storm or in my situation, but God knows exactly where I am. And he knows exactly what he's doing. And he knows exactly where he's taking me. And when it's all said and done, I'll be closer to God than I was to start with. I'll be more in the image of God than I was before. So I may be the pot marred in the potter's hand at the moment. But it says that he can make again another vessel. What seemed good to the potter. Even if it takes 14 days of a typhoon. Amen. 
God, thank you so much, God. I thank you, Lord, for what sometimes seems like just simple little words, God. But when you look at the meanings of simple little words, it tells such an incredible story. Thank you for this book, this living water that's constantly changing and teaching and breathing life into us, God. Thank you, Father. Thank you that we can come together as, as your people, God, your children, Lord. I pray you pour your blessings out upon everybody in this place, God, every family represented, Lord. I pray your healing hand upon the sick, God. I pray your comforting hand upon the broken, Lord. I, I pray your, your providential hand uh, upon those in trouble. I, I pray, God, your hand of provision upon those that, that are struggling in financials and other needs. God, I pray, Father, would you open the windows of heaven and pour out blessings according to your word, that there be not room enough to receive it, God. But will you help us, Father? It is our heart's desire to be pleasing to you in everything we do. We love you, God. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. God's people said, Amen. Amen.